Nearly 1,300 New York Times employees pledged not to return to the office. Which I think is a little bit funny, but let's read this story. So the New York Times expects employees to start returning to the office three days a week starting this week. Only three days a week. I mean, this is just hilarious. But nearly 1,300 journalists are saying, hell no, they won't go. Now, here's the thing that I don't understand, right? Why the hell does the New York Times need to have 1,300 journalists? And the reason why I say that for people who end up stumbling upon this, a lot of these news websites all basically copy one another or copy basically the original source material, like the AP News and all that kind of stuff, right? Like they basically get, a lot of these news companies get basically the exact same information from the exact same sources and they just slightly tweak the information to make it their own. And anyone could technically do this, right? Technically speaking, I could literally just duplicate a news website, make it legitimate, and literally just duplicate what is getting popped out, right? I prefer to do commentary, but, like, that's what's so funny about all this. Like, I don't know what their, like, running costs are, but it has to be massive, right? Like, imagine paying the salaries of 1,300 journalists when basically 90% of their jobs are control c and then control V, which is copy and paste. It's just hilarious. So it's just the latest blow in the increasingly bitter contract dispute between the News Guild Journalist Union, which includes reporters and photographers, as well as some editors and business side employees in upper management over wages. As of Monday, 1,316 Times workers had signed a pledge not to return to the office. This includes 879 members of the News Guild, but also members of the Times Tech Guild and the Union for Wirecutter, the paper's product recommendation spinoff. Again, like I still don't really understand why they need so many people employees. Like, I I don't really understand that. So, people are livid, Tom Coffey told The Post, a 25-year veteran editor at New York Times. He works on the news desk and serves on the union's contract action committee. He added that being forced to return to the office during a period of high inflation means workers will have to spend more money on gas mass transit, clothing, and lunches, despite the lack of salary increase. New York Times video journalist Haley Willis tweeted today, The at New York Times is giving employees branded lunch boxes this week as a return to office perk. We want respect in a fair contract instead, so I'm working from home this week along with 1,300 of my at New York Times Guild and at New York Times Guild tech colleagues with support from at Wirecutter Union. According to a Times spokesperson, there's not a set number of days mandated 
for working in the office, and it's up to individual depart, de departments to determine what works for their teams, but added, we continue to believe that a hybrid work environment best suits the New York Times at this moment. It's not a mandatory three-day-a-week return to work per se, Coffee said, but they really do expect you to be back in the office three days a week. And the negotiating committee offered a 4% pay hike in its last bargaining session on August 24th, the first concrete pay proposal advanced by the company in the talks. The old contract expired at the end of March 2021. By the way, inflation, I think, is about 9%, but in reality, is more like 14 15%. But what's even funnier than that, if you were to go by like real life spending money on the exact same item a year ago to what it is now is nearly like 50%, 40%, right? Like personal example, one single pack of dog food, a specific type of dog food used to cost about 10 bucks flat, like 1068 basically. Now, nearly 16, 17, 68. Like it is such a disgustingly high increase for the exact same amount of food. Like it's just crazy. And that's just dog food. That's not including anything else, right? So if you're someone that was living paycheck to paycheck a year ago, well now you're basically screwed, right? So I mean them proposing like a four percent pay increase is basically nothing. You're still basically in the negative than what you were a year ago. So they discussed wages for about two hours and it was very contentious, said one source, who asked to remain anonymous. Sources with knowledge of the company's stance previously told the Post that Times Management was putting off wage negotiations until many other issues, such as adding Juneteenth, Veterans Day, and Indigenous Peoples Day to the calendar, were settled. I think it's kind of like hilarious that you have to add all those to the calendar. But the last wage hike went into effect in March 2020. The company negotiators are not slow walking. They are no walking the wage negotiations, Coffee claimed. According to another staffer who did not wish to be identified, people are increasingly frustrated by the negotiations. In addition to an 8% raise, the new guilds have been demanding a cost of living increase of 5.25%, and insisting that all workers who can work remotely retain that option indefinitely and with no mandatory return to offices before July 2023. The Post is told that the labor union may soften on the cost of living hike. Now, here's the thing, right? I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with working at home, but as, like, the employee, you got to be honest with yourself and be like, hey, do I have enough willpower to be productive and not waste 90% of my time, like, goofing off, doing something else, playing games or whatever, right? Or staring at my phone. Like, you got to be honest with yourself, right? Because if you're staying at home, that means, technically speaking, there's more time for work, which means there's more time for you to make more money, and there's more time for you to end up getting your job done quicker if you're able to do that, right? So it's just something to really think about. Because for me, personally, it'd probably make more sense to actually 
Well, I mean, it really depends, right? I think it really depends on your personal situation. If you are only able to have like a certain amount of free time every day, and you can only do stuff at your house, then that's what you got to do. But if you have the choice between working at the office or working at your house, most people would try to work for the house, but a lot of those people wouldn't be physically capable of doing that because they get too distracted. It's like the same reason why so many people can use credit cards, but most people suck at using credit cards because they're just basically never paying attention. That's the thing that you got to be honest about, right? It's like, you got to like, it's kind of like losing weight. Everyone knows how to lose weight, but only some people are able to maintain a really nice looking body or a lean body day in, day out without really much effort, right? Everyone knows what you got to do. Like, it's not rocket science, but only a few amount of people actually are able to do it. So the anti-office pledge follows a flooded the inbox campaign that was unleashed before the last talks in August in which over 300 journalists sent emails to Times publisher A.G. Solzberger, which is a funny name, new executive editor Joe Kahn, opinion editor Kathleen Kingsbury, and CEO Meredith Kopit-Levian. Many added personal notes, some of which the Post has seen. Public filings show that your pay has been going up much more quickly than inflation, wrote business reporter Peter Evis, adding that Sulzberger pulled in a total package of $3.6 million in 2021 compared to $2.4 million in 2020. Which, uh, wow. That's, that's a nice chunk of change. And Copet Levian saw her total package in 2021 soar to nearly 5.8 million, up from 4.4 million in 2020, Evis pointed out. Also, since the start of 2020, the company has paid out $165 million to our shareholders in dividends and stock buybacks, he added in the email. That's cash at the door that you thought the company had no internal use for. Our message today, we really do need it. Please tell your negotiators to get serious in our contract talks. Interesting. So this individual right here with the glasses, basically no hairline, which is interesting. Interesting. Pulled in a total package of $3.6 million. And that's actually a pretty nice suit. But like, this is the thing, like, what on earth do you do at the New York Times where you get paid $3.6 million? Like, I think that'd be pretty interesting to find out. Because, like, what on earth are you doing where you are worth that to a company? So Coffee wrote in his email that he received a nice swag bag that included merch emblazoned with the New York Times logo, like an umbrella in a water bottle, to mark his 25-year anniversary, but that the swag didn't mean much when he needs to pay for his daughter's college tuition. Well, I mean, technically, your daughter could basically pay for it herself as well. I don't need knickknacks, he wrote. I need a raise. 
He added that the 4% hike the company proposed would be reduced for members who received merit-based pay increases over the past two years. What? That doesn't make any sense. So basically, if you did good at your job and you got a raise because you got good at your job and you got rewarded because you were good at your job, then the 4% hike would be reduced because you were good at your job? How beyond stupid is that? It's like, oh yeah, you know what? You did so good at your job last year. You got a raise last year. We're going to uh, not give you as much money as the other people because you were too good at what you were doing. Like, that is so stupid. So with no salary increase, it amounts to a de facto pay cut. A Times spokesperson told the Post, we respect the rights of our colleagues in the Guild to make their voices heard. We're actively working with the New York Times News Guild to reach a collective bargaining agreement that financially rewards our journalists for their contributions to the success of the Times. It's fiscally responsible as the company remains in a growth mode. I think you're more in like a save-my-butt mode and continues to take into account the industry landscape. We presented the News Guild with a wage proposal that would offer contractual increases of 10% over the remaining two and a half years of the new contract. That is significantly higher than in recent times Guild contracts. We look forward to making progress toward an agreement. And in June, when Khan stopped, uh, stepped into his new role, about 900 journalists sent an email asking him to intervene to end the negotiation logjam and bring about a new contract. Khan was supportive and said workers deserve a raise for all their hard work, but said he would leave it to the negotiating committee. So basically, he's like, oh, I feel so bad for you guys, but I'm not going to do a darn thing, basically. Nearly 200 journalists tuned in to a live stream of the August 24th negotiating session, and even more are expected to follow the next meeting, set for September 13th. One longtime New York Times reporter told The Post that it is not clear how strictly the mandate to be in the office three days a week is going to be enforced. A lot of managers are not too happy about having to return to the office either. So let's check out some of the comments on this. Ooh, a lot of comments. The National Enquirer gets more stories right than these buffoons. How about introducing them to the unemployment line? Executive Editor Joe Kahn should change the spelling of his name to Joe Kahn. Publisher A.G. Stolzberger looks like he gets on his knees for Klaus Schwab. Awesome, I pray that every one of those idiots lose their job and that hotbed of misinformation and commu-crap propaganda goes bankrupt. As for having to deal with inflation... Thanks to the douchocrat tools like these employees, we all have to deal with it. Let's see. Will anyone notice? Well, this is the thing. Will anyone notice? Because, again, from my perspective, what on earth are 1,300 journalists actually doing? Like, what are they doing? Like, I, I just don't understand why you need such a massive workforce of journalists when the majority of the stuff, especially the majority of the stuff that actually get clicks on the New York Times are copy and pasted stuff. You could go to the New York Times, Fox News, CNN, 
CNNBC, MSNBC, MSN, like all these different sites, right? And they basically have the exact same articles, right? Which is a slight different perspective in terms of where they lean a little bit more on the political aisle, right? Like that's it. That's literally it. Basically all the same articles with a slight twist. Pardon me for saying this, but most of the New York Times journalists, reporters, are nothing more than stenographers who take dictation from anonymous sources. They don't investigate. They don't verify. They are not skeptical. They simply report whatever the Democrats tell them to report, so fire them and hire admin assistants. They can take dictation for less money. Interesting. Okay, then sub the building. Yeah, save a lot of money, that's for sure. Interesting. And like, here's the reality, right? Now, I'd probably never end up doing this ever in the future. Probably never get to that type of net worth to be able to do this. But let's say that I were to run like a news company the size or one that generates the type of money that the New York Times does. I'd probably keep a pretty small team, right? Because most of the things are copy and paste. That's the reality, right? If you were to look at all these different websites, a lot of them are copy and paste. So you could have the owner, right? The leader, CEO, whatever, right? But then you could have like specific journalists slash writers or whatever, for different categories that you want on your site, right? You could have one for education, one for business, one for, you know, politics, one for local news or whatever if you want to focus on local news. You could focus on celebrities, whatever it is that you want to focus on, right? But I'll just have like one main person and a few people underneath them and that's it for that section and just keep it like that. Keep it that slim because one, all those people would be getting paid pretty well compared to you having to have like 1,200 employees, right? The company itself would end up having a really high profit margin and you could just keep on doing whatever you want to do, basically. Like, I, I don't understand why any company would have so many employees that basically do... pretty much nothing, right, in my point of view, right, who knows, maybe they're doing a lot of stuff, maybe they have a lot of responsibilities, I don't know, I just don't understand why you need 1,300 plus journalists when most of the stuff is just copy and paste, I don't understand that, right, because I mean, that's like potentially millions of dollars in just labor costs for people to just copy and paste stuff, like, I, I, I don't understand that, I really don't understand why you would even need that. Feel free to give your thoughts. If you want to learn how to get a debt, go down below and learn how to get a debt. But, my lord. <laughs>